0: Thanks for joining us online at ElevationBillings.com. Pastor Dave Carroll is speaking this week on the marriage series, You Asked For It.
1: He pulled up and picked me up from my dorm room. He got out of his copper color hoopty, um, a Ford <laughs> Escort station wagon. It was really hot, so he came around, opened my door, and I was like, well, you know, his mama raised him right, and so as we're driving down the interstate in South Florida traffic, I mean, he was going like five, ten miles under the speed limit, and my thoughts are, wow, you know, he's really taking care of this special cargo in this car, um, come to find out that that is really a characteristic of Dave Carroll that wasn't just for that day. That is, he is slow. <laughs> like, painfully slow. To the point where his best friend in college calls him Pokey. And he reminded me of that this past Thanksgiving, going, oh yeah, hey, what's up, Pokey? I was like, that's right. And so it's something that hey, I, I, I did think not... think that's <laughs> enough.
0: I think your part's over. I think it's over. Yeah.
1: It was that I love him, but there are things that, you know, you fall I confess, in love.
0: <laughs> we might have speed issues. You know what I'm saying? Where she's kind of fast and I'm kind of slow. He does
1: slow me down. You
0: know, when we got married, uh, I was excited that Amy is more detailed than I am, that uh, she kind of comes behind me and cleans up my mess, does those types of things. Uh, Not just literally, but also figuratively in many ways. Uh, She cleans up a lot of messes. But uh, I did not realize when I asked her to marry me that what I was asking for was to have a little helper in the house, you know, at every turn. Uh, She cleans things that I just never would even dream of cleaning. You know, I'm one who, I will let, like, the kids mess up the house, do everything and that night. Like, I'll clean it all up. I won't let it go past the night, usually, but I'll just wait let it... Pile, pile, pile. You know, Amy's one of those that, like, if I get a drink of tea and I chug half of it and I set it down on the counter for more than, like, 10 seconds, if I turn back around to get my cup, it's in the sink. You know, that's that's our relationship. I didn't realize I was asking for that. And so, uh, hey, we're in this marriage series, and... When you got on a knee, or for those of you who are dreaming about getting on and having someone get on a knee in front of you, or you're on a knee, or maybe you went on a knee and you're no longer married, and you know you're not sure what marriage even is anymore, what it means because divorce or death has taken it from you. Uh, I'm here to tell you today, even though when you get on a knee and ask for marriage, you're, you're not just asking. For a lovey feeling. You're asking for the most awesome relationship that God could ever describe. Marriage is incredible, and today we're here to build up the idea of marriage in your heart and in your life. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. All right, so what we want to do before uh, Amy leaves the platform here is we want to pray for you. I want to pray for the guys and then have Amy pray for the ladies uh, in this subject of marriage. God, we confess to you that many times... Uh, this, this thing called marriage loses its luster, it loses its shine. Uh, in fact, it gets confusing. And Lord, I know that many people have even been hurt uh, by this relate kind of relationship going south. Lord, I know there are some people in here who are hurting desperately because they're not married yet and they want to find the right person that honors you. And uh, I want to pray specifically for the guys in the room. Lord, that you would help us to become the men you want us to be uh, so that we can honor you and look like your picture of marriage in the scripture. Uh, I pray that you would strengthen the guys that way in Jesus' name.
1: And Father, we come before you, Lord, I thank you so much for my sisters and you. And Lord, we ask as we live through these relationships that, God, you would just give us a heart of humility, a heart to... To glean from your word of how you would love us, uh, like us to love our spouses, our significant others, and God, I know that there's ladies out there that are not yet married. Um, or who've been hurt by uh, abusive relationships or uh, divorce or just single right now. So, God, help us, Lord, regardless of our, our status, uh, relationship status, that we would seek you as a treasure of our souls, Lord Jesus, and that we would love you with our whole hearts and our minds and strength. And, Lord, we thank you because you first loved us. And so, God, would you open the word to us and that we would glean something from it today. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: I don't get a chance very often to highlight Amy Carroll because she's in the kids' ministry, but can we thank her for being around this place? Um, really grateful. And I tell you, I wake up every day and I look over and I'm like, she's still here. How about that, right? I'm like, wow. Um, I know you're not supposed to say lucky in church, but I'm going to say I'm a lucky guy. She's still hanging around right there. And, uh, and so I'm grateful that you're here today in this series If you would, turn to Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. And for Tech and everybody here, uh, I just want to make a public apology to First Service. Uh, It came out like a lesson. And so what I'm going to do is I'm kind of going to scrap my notes a little bit, a little bit so that I can preach some. All right? Does that make sense? So you're going to have to follow along and you're going to have to follow me there because I'm just changing it up. I'm mixing it up and I'm not apologizing for it. Does that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're going to have some fun in this place today. And I believe God wants to do something incredible in your life and in your marriage. And Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, and a couple other scriptures uh, are going to help us get there. And so uh, here's the deal. We titled the series You Asked For It because you may not have realized the day that you accepted the marriage proposal and the day that you walked the aisle or the day you will walk the aisle if you're not married, um, that when you enter into marriage, you're not just asking For a love relationship, you're asking for something far bigger than you, far bigger than you could ever imagine, far bigger than you could ever hope. You're asking for God's highest expectation on your life. That's pretty big, isn't it? That's way bigger than uh, you or I thought it could be when we walked down the aisle. We thought we were just going to go, yeah, yeah, you and me, together, we share a house, we eat together, we kind of pay the bills, we have kids, and then we die. And that's kind of what I'm asking is I want to do that Deal with you and uh, and I want to tell you marriage is way bigger than that today it 's just way bigger, and there 's this expectation that God has of marriage that uh, echoes in to the future uh, so far into the future that i 'm having to take you all the way to the, end, the very end of the Bible into Revelation chapter nineteen to show you how big it is. This is called this section of Scripture: the Marriage Supper of the Lamb and Uh, This fits into the end times this way. And and if you want to follow with me just for a second, this is important. And it's a little bit of uh, Bible stuff you can store away and know a little bit more. Because sometimes revelation can be intimidating. And it's really not that intimidating, not that bad. Um, You have the age of grace. It's where the church is right now. You are sitting in what's called the age of grace. Uh, You move a little bit further down the line. You have the tribulation, the rapture. Uh, those types of things. And we're not here to talk about when, where, why, what, how, and all that. But that's happening. It's a period of about seven years. And then there's a little small time where Jesus is going to do some judgment. And then uh, there you have the second coming. And before the second coming, uh, you have what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus views the relationship between him and his bride, the church, uh, as this waiting wedding ceremony, so technically the church is engaged to Jesus right now in this picture right and so uh, you have this picture where Jesus calls the union of him and his church up in heaven the, the all the place that we look forward to like when we give our life to christ we 're like i can 't wait to get to heaven well Jesus comes up with this theme where he says the best picture I can come up with to describe me and my church being together for eternity is marriage that 's powerful isn 't it that the Out of all the relationships in the world, I mean, it could be uh, father, son, mom, daughter, mom, son, father, daughter. It could be employee, employer. It could be coach, player. Uh, There's a lot of different relationships on this planet, right? But the one Jesus chose to signify that he was going to save us forever and that it wouldn't go away is marriage. And so you have the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then you have the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we're to look forward to, to that as believers. Uh, just like the Old Testament looked forward to the first coming that we celebrate Christmas, we look back on it. We're supposed to look forward to the second coming of our Savior. And so he comes and then there's a thousand year reign where Jesus is here ruling and reigning on the earth. And then Satan is loosed for a while. But then I love this part he gets booted into the lake of fire. Anybody excited about that part, right? He's done enough damage. He's messed up enough lives. He's deceived enough people. I'm excited that that day is awaiting Satan because our Savior will rule and reign. So you have this picture from the age of grace all the way to the lake of fire and then eternity where we spend eternity with Jesus. Uh, No sin, no sorrow, no pain. Sounds good, doesn't it? And, and, And then in the middle of that, Jesus calls this the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who is the Lamb? Jesus. And so uh, here's where the expectation, the high expectation of marriage echoes in to eternity in Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. This is that marriage that Jesus is going to be a part of. He says this, And I heard... As it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent, all-knowing, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is of righteous acts of the saints." Then he said to me, right, blessed are those, get this, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Here's what you can take away from the scripture today. Marriage is awesome. You may even want to write that down. That marriage is awesome. Marriage is not average. Um, Marriage is not just some earthly thing. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's spiritual. It's eternal. Dave, why are you saying that? Why are you saying this? Because marriage has been messed up because you don't understand. My parents got divorced, and I don't even know if I want to be married as a single person anymore because. Uh, Marriage is what you do if you want to kill a relationship. I've heard that before uh, from several young people who are in a relationship. And this is why people end up living together. This is why people kind of hold off from the idea. Because they don't think marriage is that awesome. They think it's just the thing everybody does and it doesn't work. And that's not what God intended. And how do I know this? Because marriage is uh, so important that your salvation depends on it. Track with me for a second. If there's the marriage supper of the Lamb where the church comes up to heaven and spends eternity with Jesus, do you want to be at that wedding? I do. Uh, I want to be there at the party. And and if Jesus says that the marriage is there and it's the highlight of his second coming, can you imagine the day where all the angels are are around and everybody's praising God and worshiping God uh, over this marriage of the Savior and the church? I would say that God values marriage way more than you and I could ever dream of. And so whatever circumstance you've endured, um, you need to pull back away from that because uh, what's happened is the circumstances of marriage, whether it's divorce or whether it's uh, hurt or whether you're in an abusive situation or somebody walked out on you and you're hurt and you're going, I don't know if I like this relationship anymore, um, you have to draw your eyes back to God because these things have scribbled all over the picture of what marriage is. They've scribbled all over, and you're looking at the picture, and it's all jumbled, saying, what does the media say? What does what uh, uh, Dear Abby say? Right? Uh, what does Yahoo say? Uh, I don't know. How do I, how do I even view this thing called marriage? And here's the problem. To reset the button of a high-expectation marriage, to meet God's expectation, you have to stop looking at the painting, and you have to start looking at the artist. You have to start looking at God. When your eyes go unto God, you begin to understand what marriage really is. Now, uh, what, here's a great truth, and definitely write this one down. What you believe about God informs the value you will place on marriage. You see, if, if you have a shallow view of God you will have a shallow view of marriage. If you don't trust God, you're not going to be able to trust your spouse. If you uh, aren't sure that God does what he says he's going to do in his word, if you don't think that he's going to forgive, that he's going to comfort, that he's going to hold together, if you don't think those things about God, then you're probably not going to be able to accomplish them in your marriage and your view of marriage will go down, down, down. And here, as God's high expectation echoes all the way into eternity, it echoes back to us... It echoes back to us. Um, it echoed right there. Look at that. Hey, great job, guys. Great job. That was right on cue. It echoes back to us and, and, it, and it starts to affect our presence. And here's what happens um, as we look, think about this picture of the end times. Envision it. Jesus is coming back, his church is coming to meet him. And, and that day, you are going to be forgiven. You're, for those who are, are in Christ, you're going to spend eternity with your Savior can you wait for that day when you're thinking about it right now? I mean, can you wait for the day that Jesus comes back? How amazing is that going to be? And it causes this anticipation. Um, That's the picture in the scripture of we're anticipating being with our Savior, but the same thing has to happen where we have the right anticipation of being with our spouse. You see, um, when Amy and I's marriage is going good, and most of the time it's gone pretty good because, well, she's She's good. That's why. That's why it's happening. It's because we've started to anticipate the same way the scripture has us anticipating our Savior, being together, where the highlight of the day is not what my win is at work. It's not what... Um, you know, it's not some uh, game that I play and, hey, I, I won a video game. It, it's not a new car. It's not a new house. The highlight is my anticipation of I get to go hang out with Amy Carroll. And see, and she gets to hang out with me. And that anticipation that we see in the scripture starts to bleed into our present just a little bit. And we get excited about that. Now, if you're not married, there's this anticipation of, wow, I wonder what the day will be like when God either restores me from a divorce and gives me the right relationship, the right kind of marriage, or maybe you've never been married, and you're like, I wonder who it's going to be. You see, when you start to anticipate the amazing relationship of marriage, you start to prepare and become a different person than you are right now, because here's the truth. Single you, everyone, will be married you. Did you get that? Single you will be married you. If you're full of vitriol and spew venom and hate, uh, you're going to bring that into your marriage. If you're promiscuous now, you're going to bring that into your marriage. And what you're really saying is, I don't anticipate that day. I want uh, stuff for me right now. And so uh, this marriage supper of the Lamb provides the picture for a high expectation marriage because it closely mirrors our salvation in Jesus Christ. Now... um, Speaking of anticipation, have you ever wondered why Jesus could go through the desert and survive temptation? How many days was he in the desert being tempted? Do you know? Forty days. Um, well, he could do it, one, because he's God and he's holy and in him, and him was, is no sin. But I also think there's another reason why he could go through the desert and not be tempted. Because he came to seek and save those who are lost, right? That's why He came. So he was, came, he was coming to build his bride, the church. And and in this, I believe he realized if he gave in to the devil during temptation, that he was going to ruin the marriage between he and the church. If he gave in to temptation, if he, uh, if he said, okay, Satan, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and view porn. Or, hey, I'm going to pursue this affair. Or I'm going to... Uh, oh man, I'm just going to come home and endure this marriage and you know we'll fight a little bit and we'll get through. Uh, I, if you would have given into temptation, you and I would have no salvation. Isn't that unreal? And so the more we anticipate the spouse God has given us or the spouse God will give us, the more we come into line with God's holiness. And this is what it looks like. Because as a high expectation marriage echoes into the future all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation, it starts to bounce back into our present. And so here are some things that we begin to grab a hold of as high expectations in our marriage after we've seen our Savior. And we go, "Yep, you know, this is God's idea. It is incredible. And here's the first one. It's we, not me. This is an expectation we begin to engage. It's going to be about we, not me, in the marriage. And so if anybody had the right to make it all about him, it would have been God, right? He didn't necessarily have to save us. He didn't have to want to be with us, but he did. Isn't that incredible? In the same way in our marriage, it's about we. That means our checkbooks start to merge together, and we stop saying, well, that's your money, and that's your money. And No, 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 it's our money because the Bible says in Genesis that the two became... One flesh, right? And no longer is it about my friends over here or my hobbies. No, it's about us. I'm going to get people who bat for our marriage, not who bat for me when, we're, when we have a fight or a struggle. It's about we, not me. There are four F's that you can grab a hold of. I encourage you to write these down. Places that you should be becoming more we and not me. Here they are. Fun, finances, faith, and future fun, finances, faith, or future. I'm just going to poke at fun just a little bit. Uh, I think that we have turned marriage into this idea where that's not the place I have fun. That's the place I do business, right? And uh, we've forgotten to have fun. But the, the funny thing is, is you probably wanted to marry each other. You asked for it because that person was fun at one point in time, right? You laughed at their jokes even though they, they weren't funny, right? Because you're like, I just want to laugh, so hopefully they like me back. And even though they're not that funny, I'm going to laugh. Uh, we're going to have some fun together. Now, if you're married and you've forgotten to have fun with your spouse, you've forgotten how. Here's, I just want to give you a little pointer here. Uh, you know, after the kids go to bed, you turn the lights down, you get in at night. I'm, okay, never mind. I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> but if you've forgotten that, hey, but... That's okay. You can laugh out loud, right? You can LOL. But here's the deal. It's not just about that. I'm poking a little fun with the fun. But you know what? In that anticipation, it should change our expectation of who we're going to have fun with. You know what? When I start looking at my family and at my marriage as the place that that's where business occurs, that's where I get worn out, and that's not the place I have fun Uh, That's where you start to see me happen and not we. And we start going, but what about me? And and marriage can be fun. It can be fun, but you also have to come together in your finances, your faith. And, hey, I want to encourage you, a little exercise. Go home and dream a little bit together about the future. Where is your marriage going? What are you hoping to accomplish? And and maybe if if you're in the place where you don't have a spouse, you're going, well, what do I do? You know what? Start dreaming about how your marriage, one day, if God gives you that gift, how it can impact the world. Now, uh, that's one way it engages the present. Is It's now we, not me, as I look at where I live today. But here's the other part. We will put work into the wedding and beyond. Jesus did it three ways. He did the premarital work when he came to earth. He had a, he threw an amazing wedding, right? The marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation 19. And then He uh, kicked butt and take names and did the work after the the wedding to keep the marriage secure. And so he did work in all three phases. If you're thinking about getting married and you want to skip premarital counseling, you're stupid, okay? You are because you would never go into a business venture and say, oh, hey, I'm going to drop $100,000 to start a business on the corner of Main Street and uh, not do your homework to see how many cars are there, how many people stop, is this a good corner? You would ask a million questions to see if you would get a return on your investment, but yet when it's uh, about marriage, it's like, well, it's just love. It's just love, and we can't define. No, you can work on your marriage. You can do it. And maybe some of you had an awesome wedding and you did it, but you stopped working on the marriage after. You see, uh, the, the eternal view of marriage tells us keep working on it because that's what our Savior did into eternity. He kept working on it. Here's another thing that you're going to grab a hold of. You're going to delete the detour of divorce. You're going to do that now. If you're single, you're going to stop having sex outside of marriage because, uh, hear me on this, if you can't hold off when you're not married You're not going to be able to hold off when you're married. And here's why. Because it's still sex outside of marriage. But you say, but we love each other and we're going to get married. You know what? You're outside of marriage. And if you can have sex outside of marriage before marriage, you can have sex outside of marriage inside of marriage. Do you hear me? And so we're going to delete divorce. We're we're going to delete that from our vocabulary. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Verses 1 and 2, you see, Jesus, as he's preparing for the marriage supper of the Lamb, watch what he does. It says, after these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Check this out. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great, what's that word? The what? The harlot. The prostitute. He's judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servant shed by her. You see, what did Jesus do before he had the marriage supper of the lamb? He booted the harlot out of the relationship, right? And some of you, if you're a person who's who's working on breaking up a marriage in the room, and you're starting to go after somebody that's not yours, stop, right? Stop it. Stop it delete divorce. You can do it from outside of a marriage by not trying to break one up. You could do it from inside of a marriage by by kicking out anyone who's going to threaten your marriage. Because here's, here's the deal. This is why it's important. Your marriage is probably the greatest testimony you have that you've been saved by Jesus. You know, if you're married in the room, your marriage... Looking like God is something that people will stand up and notice. You know why? Because we live in a broken world that wants an answer. And when they see your marriage working like Jesus wants it to, guess what they do? They say, "I want some of that Jesus." Isn't that awesome? And that's the, that's what we can do. And so all of a sudden, these expectations—the expectations, the expectations raised—not so that we put a bunch of a list of expectations so that someone could love us. But we put an expectation that pleases God. And as we look at this, here's a a line I want everybody to write down. Everyone to write down. Emotional and physical affairs are not an option. That's a new expectation when we're looking at God's view of marriage. It's not an option. You know what? Some of you are in the room going, oh, man, it's like a dagger to hear that because you're like, oh, what do I do? I already have the T-shirt. It happened to me. Here's the good news. There's forgiveness for you. You know what? Uh, God is the God of second chances, and God can restore you. But here's what you do. You begin to live by these expectations now and, and to pray that God will give you a spouse who will help you move forward. Uh, listen to Revelation 20. So I shared kicking out the harlot before the wedding, right? That's what happened in Revelation. But listen to what happened after the wedding in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. I love this verse Uh, it's heartbreaking, but I love it in the, in the frame of marriage because this is what Jesus does after the marriage. He says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. H-E, double hockey sticks. That's what we know. That's actually coming after the thousand year millennial reign. That's way into the future for you to learn something about the scripture today. And so what is Jesus doing after he gets married? He's still booting out people who are not his bride. He's still doing it. That's the picture of our salvation. He's going, nope, 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 you're not the bride. Stay away, stay away. And we need to begin to set some standards because I'll tell you what, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of of seeing People sick and tired walk into an office saying, "Our marriage is messed up, and I've cheated. Our marriage is messed up uh, because you know we're not even friends anymore. Our marriage... Is, no, let's stop it. Let's hold a higher standard and say these things are not an option anymore. They're not. That's the new standard. Why? Because that's how my Savior did it in His marriage." Uh, that we see in the scripture. What else are you doing? You're amputating abusive behavior. You're just chopping it off. It's crazy. I sit in communion sometimes. And I stare at the congregation. When we have the elements up here. And man, tears stream down people's faces. People are sad. And they're going, oh man. I can't believe my savior had to have nails in his hands and feet. But yet it's funny. It's funny. We feel bad about that because we're like, that shouldn't happen. But we're willing to put nails in the hands and feet of our spouse, of our ex, and we're willing to belittle them and yell at them and treat them uh, the way they shouldn't be treated. Uh, we'll, we'll belittle our wife or our husband and, and make them feel worthless. But God says, amputate that. Could you imagine with me just for a second God uh, treating you in a way that was abusive? Could you imagine for a second if you got to heaven and God looking at you saying, Nah, you stink, you're awful. And you know what, how about this? I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna love someone else. I'm not gonna love you. If you're in Christ, God wouldn't do that, would he? You're amputating that kind of behavior. Here's what else you're doing. You're prioritizing Jesus over the junk in your life. This week, it's funny how when you're preaching on something, uh, stuff just pops up. One of the most dear relationships in my entire life was struggling in their marriage. And I got a call this week saying, hey, our marriage is starting to go better. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's not what happened last week, right? Just last week, it, it was all going to pot. And I said, what happened? What changed? What was different? And he said, well, it's crazy. I've known to do this my whole life, but I just started doing it for the first time in decades. I started praying with my wife. And a week later, the wife can vouch that it's better. Now, you know it's better when the wife can vouch, right? When the husband says it's good, you're like, yeah, sure, I bet it's good. But when the wife says it's good, it's good. You know what I'm saying? And it all happened because they recognized that just like in Revelation, marriage is a spiritual relationship. And when you try to take Jesus out of it, you don't prioritize worship attendance, you don't share your faith, you don't make your marriage about advancing the gospel. No wonder it's not any good because you're asking for a lesser view of what God intended marriage to be. And so you prioritize Jesus over the junk. Some of you are going, whoa, Dave, I don't know. Pray with my spouse. How do you do that? Well, let me help you. Step one, grab your spouse's hand. Step two, walk to the couch. Step three, get on your knees. Step four, someone open their mouth and point it toward God, right? I think, believe me, is not that hard. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to put Jesus over your junk. And, and Jesus modeled this with a spiritual relationship. Here's another thing you can do. Lay a foundation for the future. Lay a foundation for the future. Some of you, I've heard this before with long-time marriages that say, well, hey, our marriage just is what it is, and there's really nothing, nothing to be married for anymore. Yes, there is. Your children's children. Give your children a house 30 years from now, they can come back to for Christmas and they see the picture of a godly marriage. Change your family tree to where your family tree doesn't have a lot of divorce in it, but instead it, it's, it's known for solid marriages. And you go, that's not my family. That can happen. It can start with you. Lay a foundation for the future. And then the last thing that we see here in the marriage supper of the Lamb is that Jesus was very long-suffering. This was an expectation Jesus had that he would put up with the junk. He would put up with the sin. He would put up with the deficiencies of his spouse, the bride of Christ, and that he would love this church to the bitter end no matter how we treated him. He made a way. He was long-suffering. Let me ask you a question. Where is it that you have been letting your spouse eat you alive and you are living in unforgiveness? Where is it? Where is it? That you have to be long-suffering like Jesus was. You have to bear the burden. Listen to this. Mark chapter 10, verse 2 through 9. Jesus chimes in on marriage. And uh, it's it's good to listen to Jesus when he chimes in on something, right? And so here's what he says. Some of the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with the question, What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. And here's where Jesus comes in. He responded. He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother And is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. You see, really, this lower view of marriage that has crept into your life, my life, our culture, the city we live in, the state we live in, you know what it is? Ultimately, it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem toward God. It's a heart problem problem toward the person God has called you to love the most. It's a heart problem toward the one relationship God has asked us to esteem to the top, and yet we keep pushing it down, saying, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's too hard. It's too difficult. We can't do it. We're not going to make it. And God says, yes, you can. God says, yes, you can. So today, you have to turn your heart back to the picture of what Not what you asked for, but what God asked for. And what does God ask for? He asked for a marriage that is out of this world and eternal and spiritual and mirrors everything that he is. That's what God asked for. And when you got on a knee or when you said yes and took a ring, that's what you said yes to. God, I want your best marriage that you have to give. Is that the kind of marriage you all want to live in? I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And today I just want to ask a simple question. Maybe your marriage needs a tune-up. Or maybe maybe it's even going well, but you're not quite sure of the future and the purpose. Like Jesus can point the future and purpose all the way into eternity and your are you're going, well, you know, it's going okay, but I wish there was just a little more to grab onto so that we could really work on this thing together. Or, or maybe you've, I don't know, maybe you just got divorced and marriage is shattered for you and you don't think it's very good at all. I don't know where you're at, but here's what I want to ask. How many of you would say today, I desperately need some help from God in this area called marriage. No matter where you're sitting at, I desperately need some help. Whether it's the idea or actually doing it right or having some high expectations, I need help. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. No one's looking around. Is there anyone that would say, I need some help? Yeah. Yeah. All over the room. I want to pray for you to you put your hands down. God, I thank you for this day and I thank you that that you used marriage to teach us about eternity. God, that you used marriage to define our relationship with you. you Use that, that picture. And God, we confess that our picture doesn't look like your picture, and uh, our selfishness creeps in. Uh, God, our, our meanness <laughs> creeps in. But God, I pray and ask for the folks who have cried out to you today to say, God, help me, help me to ask for what your best is in this marriage instead of what's best for me. God, help me to be focused on my spouse. Lord, help me to to remain pure and to not have sex outside of marriage. God, help those folks who are crying out all over. Would you restore their soul and would you protect us so that we can be a bright shining light for you? We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said. Thanks again for listening and join us next week as we continue the series, You Asked For It.